You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. This week's episode of Talking Taiwan features part two of my conversation with Eileen Lin Gutier and Rola Chung about raising Blasian kids. In this episode, Eileen talks about the Facebook group for Taiwanese moms with Blasian kids, and Rola talks about her son and daughter's cross-country road trip and the different concerns that she, their father Franz, and their uncle Tim had. While much of the conversation focused on parenting, we also got into a discussion about racism, the understanding of the black experience amongst Taiwanese and Taiwanese Americans, and human rights. Now, here's part two of our conversation. Eileen, I know that you mentioned that you were a member of a Facebook group for parents of Malaysian kids. And so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about your group and, um, you know, like what, are, what do you think are the most common questions that have come up in the Facebook group? Have you noticed anything? The posts that I've seen so far have ranged from hair care. Um, as you know, that um, black hair is very, um, very different from Asian hair. Um, and I think this is one of the things where I feel like Asian hair is so privileged, right? We have this hair that's easy to manage, whereas um, for, um, for black people's hair, it, it's a, a very different story. It requires more maintenance. Um, there are a lot more products out there. And for many of us, we have no clue, um, you know, what each product is for. Um, and so really kind of sharing um, our experience and, and just resources, you know, a lot of questions are, are very basic, like, you know, hair care or how often should I wash my kids? <laughs> and so that sort of thing. And we, I also see a lot of um, posts that are um, sharing experiences of discrimination. Um, and, and I feel like these are very meaningful um, interactions where, uh, mothers become very vulnerable and share, um, you know, their concerns and, and their uh, children's um, challenges at school. Um, many of them question about their, their skin color, their hair texture, um, or having their school friends saying that they're not invited to parties because somebody doesn't like black people. And so um, I think it's, it's a, a group that really shares a lot of these really realistic um, challenges that they are facing. Um, and, and also just, you know, for me, I think the biggest takeaway is that um, as much as we share very similar sort of family structure, um, not everyone is feeling the same way about how they want to raise their kids, especially their Blasian kids. Um, are there any specific resources or advice that you've gotten from the Facebook group that you'd like to share, or maybe you can share with me later and we can put in the show notes if there's any resources or things? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think most of them are, um, for example, books for children um, or you know, tips for hair care, for example, um, or um, I remember someone sharing a resource not necessarily designed for, um, you know, Asian mothers with Asian kids, but more general in terms of like adoptive 
parents how to handle their black children's hair, you know, and that kind of turns into a, into a very helpful resource for someone like us who have never experienced managing black people's hair. And so, um, so those are the things that, um, that, you know, we find very helpful, um, again, in educating young children, representation does matter. And so sharing these very rare resources on, you know, how do we teach our kids empathy, especially if they are kids of color or, um, you know, how do I get them to like their hair? You know, those other things where I feel like it's really good that we're sharing and, and supporting each other that way. Um, does, any, does it ever get heated at all? Like if somebody shares a story about how their kid experienced some discrimination or if, if you come across somebody, as you alluded to, that says they want to raise their kids colorblind, how do, do people like speak openly about that and get into like heated um, discussions? Um, there are a few interactions where um, it definitely has gotten more heated, um, but nothing that's really out of uh, hand anyway. Um, I feel like being mothers of young children, we just have too many things <laughs> in our life to really, um, you know, dive into um, debates. And, you know, maybe that's why we don't continue to see more um, kind of, posts that are more heated that way but definitely I, I, I think um, you, there was um, one incident where um, I share um, a post from a social justice group um, how uh, black people like to be called and it it basically talks about how using the term black is okay. It's not derogatory. Um, and however, some moms will comment, comment on that they don't feel comfortable using that word. Even you know, people from the black community say it's okay and it's not bad. Um, and, you know, some people will come and like, I would not teach my kids about like, seeing people by it, it's, you know, his or her skin color. And so um, just a various um, range of different answers that um, surprised me in, in quite some way. And, you know, I had to kind of learn to also manage expectation and know that, um, not to get too involved, for example, emotionally on these things. And there are times where some mothers would say, oh, at least my kids is not, is very light skin. So there's that little bit of colorism that's being um, mentioned in a way it was perhaps unconsciously um, you know, highlight it, but um, there are things like that that made me feel uncomfortable. But again, I think it's important for me to learn that not everybody is on the same wavelength. 
and that parenting is personal. And so, you know, let's look more internally on how, what type of mother I want to be um, without casting judgment or trying to convince people what's right or wrong. I, I think a lot of Taiwanese Americans or even Taiwanese people who moved to the U.S. at a later time and might not have, might not grow up, you know, didn't grow up in an environment um, where it allowed them to fully understand systematic racism, right? And you also have mothers who feel so responsible and, and feel bad about not understanding their husbands more and the sort of the struggle that they are going through. Um, so there's like all different kinds of feelings that are being shared. And, and I think I personally feel that it's so important to have an, an open mind that's willing to learn, right? Willing to, again, a lot of these, we have to reprogram ourselves because we didn't grow up with these historical facts or, um, or with black people. Uh, we didn't grow up with them. Um, and so it's really up to these individuals on how they want to take these information and internalize it and then, present how they want to present themselves and so I, I think it's up to the person it up to, it's it's really about learning um you know I always say like don't be so hard on yourself for not understanding fully because we are reprogramming ourselves but it's that willingness to learn is key to be more successful in understanding situations and 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 kind of defining who you want to be as a mother. Yeah, and I think it's very important to um, continue engaging and communicating without judgment and people who are on different um, stages on different levels, like that's the only way that they can um, grow or come to see other things if they're not being judged, right? So, uh, ho so hopefully it's a safe space for that, which is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Um, Rola, you're not off the hook. <laughs> um, I wonder, like, could you talk about, like, when you raise your kids, like, did you think about how to balance educating them about both of their cultural heritages, and how did you do that? So it was really important to bring them to, um, in this case, Taiwan. Um, I think I talked about that when we when we met. Um, I, I think that's the only way to really experience Asian in, you know, like, I just don't think it's, well, I, actually, though, Eileen, I think with your parents so close, that is a similar um, experience for your children. My my parents were not close enough for that sort of daily interaction. I mean, at the time when they were young, um, but also I think it's important to know that it's not just their grandparents, you know, that there's an extent, there's like a whole country out there that's, you know, who, where their ancestors come from. Um, I think the other thing, um, we haven't really talked much about religion, um, you know, in terms, because that's a whole other topic, but 
um, part of our um, belief system is um, our ancestors. And I, that is very Taiwanese, actually, right, to, to not worship the ancestors. But you have to, you know, pay homage to your ancestors. You have your, your altar, and, and you know that you give, you know, you, you have to feed them, right? You know, your, your ancestors. And, um, and, you know, Haitian culture is actually fairly similar. And having that common thread of, you know, ancestral um, connection, right, it, it becomes an, an opening, you know, to so that your children understand that, that they have the ancestors on the island of Taiwan, you know, going back 400 years. So there's a connection. There's a, tr a, a real strong connection for their identity through our belief system. So that helps. Arola, could you talk a little bit about, because um, you, you, you had shared a story about the first time that you brought your kids back to Taiwan. Um, I don't remember the story. <laughs> I took them back in 2008. We wanted to bring them back to Taiwan. And, but oh, yeah. And it's like, I'm sure it's a challenge with your schedule and your partner's schedule and all that. And, um, you know, the timing of when you wanted them to come go back there. To oh, yeah, yeah. So th that was research based on language. Um, you know how when you're really young and you learn multiple languages, then as an adult, you don't have that weird accent that, you know, non-native speakers have. And I think it's seven years old. So any language that you are exposed to, you know, that you learn how to speak before you're seven, then you, it becomes a, sort of a native, it becomes your native language if you can speak it before you're seven. Um, so I just wanted them to have the sound in their minds because I know, I mean, uh, your kids are going to learn languages, which is beautiful, wonderful. Um, but I, I wasn't quite so disciplined on my end, and so my strategy was to take them to Taiwan. <laughs> Thinking is that the early exposure will be there and uh, hopefully be lasting somehow. <laughs> I do believe it works, though. Um, it's not just going to Taiwan, but it's also, you know, hearing it from their grandparents. Right. Um, that in the future, if they're going to learn to speak Taiwanese, um, and not Mandarin, though, because our family, because we're American, you know, we didn't really have exposure to Mandarin as a language. Like, I know in Taiwan, it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. But when you're in America, English is ubiquitous. So the only Asian exposure, it's like, you know, the Taiwanese. So I think that they won't sound like total American dorks, <laughs> hopefully. Eileen, I have the same question for you. How are you and your husband uh, balancing um, educating your daughter and your second on the way about both of their cultural heritages? I fortunately have my parents living really close by and helping us, especially during COVID, uh, to take care of my, my daughter. Um, and so I asked them to speak Taiwanese to her. Um, and they would insist on speaking Mandarin, which is really weird because I grew up speaking Taiwanese and I only speak Taiwanese to them. But they feel like Mandarin is more helpful uh, when she grows up. And I, I told them to stick with Taiwanese because she can learn Mandarin in school. Um, and my husband and I have a plan to start taking her to the Taiwan school, uh, the Taiwanese school, um, whenever this COVID thing ends. Um, so 
and my husband plans to learn some Taiwanese as well. And so um, that's kind of our plan the whole time. Um, and so I definitely want my daughter to uh, learn as many languages as possible. I personally, um, I'm fluent in four. And so I, I do want her to pick up all of my old languages I speak. Um, and then my, my husband's side, my husband doesn't really speak French or Creole <laughs> per se, but his, his family does. And so we are hoping that she could also pick up these languages as well. So um, again, not to be a tiger mom, but <laughs> I'm hoping that um, she'll just learn whatever she can. Um, but certainly I think language is very important into understanding your own heritage and culture. And um, we definitely have plans to go back to Taiwan um, to visit, uh, to, you know, even, you know, just like Rola's uh, daughter, um, you know, go back there on her own and experience, um, you know, herself and really learning it on her own without, without us as well. And so, yeah. Oh, you know, just, she... Go ahead, Rola. I was just going to say that uh, she has a video from that trip, so I, I can share that. Oh, you yeah. saw it already. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so that's how I know. Um, and so I, I just want her to be independent and be as, um, you know, worldly-minded as possible, um, which is something that I was fortunately, um, you know, had a chance to do that on my own. Um which my parents didn't, um, and my 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 other families didn't. But I, I definitely want to expose her to that. Um, there's a world out there. <laughs> there's a lot to learn. Yeah, and maybe she'll take after her mother and have uh, the language gift, right? <laughs> we'll see. It's either that or more better analytical skills and <laughs> piano and other things that my husband's good at. <laughs> what are the um, languages that you speak, Arlene? Oh, uh, I, so I, I was, I grew up speaking Taiwanese and I started learning Mandarin when I started going to school, um, first grade. And then I started learning English when I moved to the U.S. And then I started learning Japanese um, in college. And I actually worked in Japan for um, five years or so after college. So yeah, those mm -hmm. are the four. Right. Well, now you need to learn French and Creole so you can yes. speak to Edwin's family. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I, my goal is five, and so I'll just keep learning. I wonder, I want to ask you about this idea of teaching um, kids or people saying that they're going to be colorblind because for a lot, for a long time we've heard people saying that, and now I think what, with what's going on with, um, you know, all this, uh, the Black Lives Matter and all of the um, awareness that's going on. Now people are kind of going to the other end and talking about um, racist or being anti-racist. Um, what do you think about this when people say that they teach their kids to be colorblind or that they are colorblind? I think it came from the intention of not wanting to judge people by their skin color. So I, I think it came from a positive space uh, where they just want to treat everyone equal. You know, it doesn't matter what skin color you have, but the reality is people see color. And when you are born as BIPOC or a person of color, people are going to see you that way. And when you teach your kids to be colorblind, your kids will not have the ability to 
understand their friends of color, the types of experience that they are going through, and were therefore not able to empathize with with the situation and also the root of the problem. And so I think that's why teaching kids, you know, your kids colorblind is not ideal. Um, I remember, I recalled um, an an incident at work where my white colleague asked me, oh, who dropped this folder on my desk? And I identified the the person who dropped off the the folder. I said, oh, uh, she's black. She's, uh, she has glasses, um, really pretty. And, you know, she's wearing green today. Like, that's what I said. And then she was so taken aback. She was just like, you just call her, identify her by black. And I was like, but she's black. Like, what's wrong with identifying her as a black person? And, and so I think there was a generation, um, and I think it's, it's our generation, um, Roland, Felicia, like I, where a lot of people are taught not to use color, skin color, as, as a way to identify people because that would lead to something bad or negative or yeah i agree with eileen <laughs> but in fact it's very important to see color because that's what people of color go through that's how they are perceived yeah and i think um seems that there's been more of an acceptance in the black community to just be called black because it's not it's not always correct either to say everyone's african-american or whatever term you want to use either so let them decide what they want to be called i guess uh, rola do you have any thoughts on this yeah, I agree with Eileen. <laughs> Great. Um, and earlier, both of you, well, Eileen talked a lot about, you know, the worry that you have um, for your kids as they grow up or whatever. So as a parent of Malaysian kids, do you feel like you have to be especially aware or hyper aware? And what does that mean and how do you deal with that? So my answer to that question was just that, um, I think all par- everyone should be hyper aware, not just parents of Asian kids. Um, but you know, it's it's really hard, especially when you have young kids, and you know, like they, you have so much. You're, you're also working full time, and you just have so many things going on. So you know, I do think we have a limited bandwidth and when your children are black there are just certain things that are more urgent that you have to be aware of that um, maybe white parents don't have to think about so I think that that's where the concept of hyper aware is but I think that if you know white parents were also hyper aware then they could take that opportunity to be more aware of you know what it's like when you're not white you know but but we do our best, right? Everybody does what they can, and and sometimes it demands too much. So you have to you have to set your priorities. Eileen, do you want to say anything about this? No, I totally agree with Rola. Rola, I'm wondering if you could. I, we did talk a little bit about your daughter and how she got um, stopped with the taillight on the way to the beach with her friends in the car. Um, could, are there any other incidents that you recall happening with your kids, with the authorities or the police? Yeah, I thought about that too. I don't really um, 
think that there was that much that happened with the police, partly because we do live in Baltimore City, um, and we don't live in those neighborhoods, you know, that are being harassed uh, for the most part. Um, but I, but there were two incidents that had both had to do with my son, where there was a teacher who was not a good teacher, and she ended up getting fired anyway, um, not because of what she did, but just to give a context of what type of person she. I don't even think she lasted the whole year, you know. Um, she was that terrible. Like all the parents went in and started complaining and they knew that they couldn't keep her <laughs> hired and employed in, in that position. So, um, but you know, she did things like, you know, like I, I never got a call. I, I never got a call <laughs> for my child being disruptive or, you know, because he's a really smart kid and he knows <laughs> what he can get away with and <laughs> what he can't. Um, but she was, but, but here's the funny thing too. He, um, he already told me what happened, not because he knew she was going to call me, but because he was so upset by what happened that I already knew about the incident. And so when I got the call, it was a very strange perspective. You know, teachers call parents when their kids are not, are being bad in, in school or in class. But, you know, it, it had kind of ramped up. You know, she didn't have any control over the classroom, but she was only disciplining the black children. Um, and so what happens when you're a white child and somebody else gets in trouble for what you do, you get worse. So, like, you know, it just kept getting worse and worse. Her classroom was out of line. It was completely off the chain because she wasn't targeting the problem, you know, like she thought that any anything that a black kid did, got, they got in trouble, and then these white kids, they just started getting more and more disruptive because they were never being held accountable, and she, this was a Filipino woman, you know, she was an Asian woman um, who, you know, and I, I, just now talking about it, I wonder, you know, like, Asian people have, like, this sort of, like, white worship, you know, attitude as well. You know, they think of white people as put them on a higher pedestal. And so you put her, she walks into a, a Baltimore City classroom, you know, and, and then we've talked about her implicit biases against black people, you know, that, you, you know, we, you were, you know, talking about with your, your parents at the beginning of this conversation. So you combine that. Um, and so that he did experience that, uh, but like I said, it didn't last very long, and um, and she had many, many other problems as an educator that um, she didn't last in that position. But that's one thing, and he was pretty upset initially uh, by that. But after after he realized, like, and this is funny, you should ask ask Evans about this one day. But he's just like, well, what's a teacher gonna do if you get in trouble? Call your mom? Well, go ahead and call my mom because, like, so when a kid knows that, you know, he's not gonna get in trouble at home with his mom, then they feel okay about it, you know. So he understood, and I, you know, like with with Evans, you know, he this isn't the first issue that he had in school. In high school, we started talking about, well, at what point do you think Think it's necessary for me to come in and address the problem, right? And over the course of the four years, it ended up that for the most part, he had he was able to negotiate himself 
through most issues that happened in high school. Uh, which I think made him a master negotiator <laughs> because you're trying to negotiate and advocate for yourself, you know, as a high school student with your administrators. And I think it gave him really good experience. But I think at that time, he was only a freshman. And so I did go in and speak to the teacher. Um, and that was useless, like I said. She had many other <laughs> problems as a teacher. Um, but the other interesting thing that I wanted to discuss that happened was when a neighbor called the police on, on my child. And it turns out that he was also an Asian-American young man. Um, you know, so it's like the stories that I can think of, at least two of them, you know, like they, they involved Asian people. My child, yeah. uh, well, the story is that they were running around the block and we have an alley behind our block and, and there's also a six foot cinder block wall and he was 10 years old and you know, he was 12 and his friend was 10, but you know, they were playing. So they thought it was really fun to run through the house, run around the block, jump over the cinder block wall and repeat. And so, um, so there was another neighbor who spoke to them, um, but then eventually they they told him that you know they that somebody called the police. So um, so like a good son, he came and told me that the neighbor stopped him and told him that somebody called the police on him, and um, and so yeah, then I was upset because you know you don't call the police on a black child, you know a young black boy. So I you know. I went outside and I met the police, but in the meantime, I was also, you know, um, calling up and down the block because I wanted to know. I I wanted to know who did, who was the person who called the police because I wasn't, you know, my child told me this. I don't know who talked to him. I don't know who called the police. And so in the end, the young man he came out, you know, and spoke to me. Well, in the end, meaning after the police came. So when the police officer came, I met the police officer at the at the corner and you know I talked to him I told him what the situation was I said that you know um, I, this is my child we live here he's allowed to play in the street you know because that's what kids do when you live in the city you don't have a yard you play outside when you play outside you're in the streets um, and and so whatever he was like okay fine and then he just he left like it, there was no issue and be, by the way the police officer was black you know I live in a white neighborhood um, in Baltimore City. I mean, that that's a whole other, Baltimore City is a whole other thing. So when I said, you know, there are certain neighborhoods where it's not good with the police, but my neighborhood isn't one of them. You know, my neighborhood is one of the ones that is being protected by the police. It doesn't matter what race the police officer is. It's about the neighborhoods. And, um, and then the, the young man came out because I wasn't going to give up. I mean, if you didn't come out, I was going to be like creating a ruckus for the entire block until you came out. So he came out. And so I just introduced myself. I introduced my events to him. And I said, we live here. I don't even think he lives here anymore. Uh, we live near Hopkins. So we have a lot of transient populations who come to Hopkins for like, I don't know, a short period of time, maybe a couple months, up to maybe three years tops, and then they're gone. You know, we've been in this neighborhood for 20 years, so, yeah. Right, yeah, and you're referring to Johns Hopkins University. Oh, uh, yes, uh -huh. yeah. the medical. I really don't know. Um, 
I'm also curious, I believe you've talked to your kids about how they feel about the police, right? Um, because yeah. it's something that they really have to think about. Like, wh how do they feel about the police? Well, so this is where I feel like I didn't prepare them properly because I, I failed, according to my friend, um, you know, to prepare them <laughs> for the world that they're going to engage in. And so there is a lot of fear, actually, you know, for the police. And I... Um, you know, and they, they, they challenge me. Like, this is why I don't really feel qualified. You know, it's kind of, like, beyond my league to to be able to address it. You know, like, what I try to teach them is to just be them and to be, you know, confident and whatever. And it's probably not enough, right? It's not good enough. No, um, but Rola, like you said, like, you know, um parents are human and there's always going to be something that you didn't quite do right or whatever, whether it's purposeful or not, or that wasn't your experience. So how are you going to teach? Yeah. Okay. You can well, say there, that, but I don't acknowledge it in them about yeah. this. Do you know Franz? Franz? Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Franz is way, 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 way different in terms of the type of advice that he gives our kids, you know, Franz is going to tell them everything that Eileen is talking about, you know, like how you dress, right? That was a huge thing, you know, when, when they were younger, because I'd have them go out in whatever rags, holy clothes that, you know, they happened to be wearing that was comfortable, you know, like me now, whatever, you know, just, um, like every issue, every issue he is. So, and I just, I can't, it, it hurts my heart to have to live like that, and I don't want my kids to live like that. So I really, really taught them not to live like that. And so realistically, I'm being really honest with myself and admitting that I did not fully prepare. Here, here's another example. Um, they're on this cross-country road trip, they're going to drive through the south, Mississippi, Arkansas, Alabama, Louisiana, right? They're going to Texas. They're going straight through the south. And in my mind, they could have camped through the south as well. You know, I've camped in the south. I've camped in Arkansas and Texas. And, um, but Tim, you know, Tim is much more mindful than I am. I mean, you know him. He is very conscious and aware of how, you know, right, of society, my, my brother and their uncle, immediately, he was like, stay on the federal highways, do not get off, you know, spend, you know, like, here are the, here are the places that you can spend the night, <laughs> you know, don't get off the federal highways through these states. And, and, you know, I think he would have been a lot more open to, allowing them to explore a little bit um, before 2016. <laughs> but currently, you know, like, like I said, I mean, I tend to be that, la, 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 I don't hear you when I don't, when I think it's not, you know, kind of like bullshit, you know, I'm not sure what I'm allowed to say, but when it's not stuff that I think is Fine. real, you know, like I tend to just sort of, dismiss it and so I think I've been dismissing quite a bit like I actually told that same friend I said I've been an ostrich you know like 
you know, or I just kind of stick my head under the ground and pretend like none of this is happening. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they're going to, I think they're going to stop in Atlanta, which it should be okay. Um, Do you know what their dad thinks about this trip? And does he have those same concerns about being in the South yeah. and all that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, but Franz has learned, well, first of all, Franz is a free spirit. Um, he has, that, that's a whole other story. By the way, I mean, I was going to tell you off the record, but he's so excited about meeting your family, so hopefully we can get together. Oh. Um, but, yeah, he has his whole, he has a whole great, amazing story as well. So he's really a free spirit. And he's known me, you know, Rola, for 20 years. And he knows that I've raised his children also. So he understands, he's learned that he cannot, tell them not to do this or that or whatever. You know, so he's had a history of just allowing his kids to do things that he doesn't necessarily feel okay with, oh, you know, over the course of these 20 years. Um, but what does he really think? Oh, yeah, if it were up to him, he would probably, she would absolutely not take this trip right now. He would it's not just... Yes, it, it's it's not just the um, you know the racism and being black. It's also COVID. Yes, yeah. you know it's also it's just yeah. a lot of things. He's like I said earlier in this conversation, Franz and I are like polar opposites when it comes to you know um, our values of how you know like just the, for a perfect example, you know like we're, I'm a camper, he's a Disney resort. You know, like <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, I don't. I don't watch television. I don't. You know, I've had I, in my entire adult life. I don't think I've had a television in my house mm -hmm. for yeah. more than ten years. You know, and he, that's what he does. It's, it's, his TV is on twenty four seven. You know, like we're just like so so different in terms of like how we move through space and through the world right. um, but we did meet you know and, and I think it's because he is a free spirit and you know when it really comes down to it so that's what I'm saying we have an amazing great partnership in terms of like co-parenting because we're flexible enough to allow the other person to be who they need to be so in the end it, it, the, the proof is in the pudding right so the kids get like all this the best of the two worlds. Okay, you could say that. I was going to say they get this mishmash, you know, this contradictory oppositional instruction from, you know, the two most important, you know, critical people in their lives, and they have to sort through it. They have to figure out. They have to pull out what is important to them, what speaks to them, what da da da. And now it's our job, Franz and I, you know, that when they do choose something that you know the other person might disagree with or, you know, think is wrong, we have to support that, right? We because not not because I agree with Franz or I disagree with Franz, but because my child chose it. So whatever it is. You know, I, because I had my chance, I had my chance to like convince them to agree with me, right? We all had our chance, but in the end, the child is going to choose. And, um, and so, right, so that, that's how Franz is with this trip. Same thing, you know, it's like, it's all out there. We had the conversations, you know, he sat there and threw it all out, you know, and they argued and, you know, and there were compromises that were made. I think, um, 
uh, we sang, you know, she was at um, she was at Johns Hopkins. She was at Peabody doing a BFA in dance. Uh, she took a year off because she got on Broadway. Um, but now COVID hit. And so Franz was like, look, this is what you should be doing with your quarantine time. You should be getting your BFA, you know, call up Hopkins. And I was like, oh, who cares about college? It doesn't matter anyway. Who cares? Da, 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 da. You know, that's where I was coming from. But she's actually going to be doing college online while on her road trip. Oh, wow. Yeah, but, but that's all part of negotiation, you know, because Franz had his two cents in there. I was just like, oh, no, go be free. Go go camping, you know, go out in nature and do you and figure out what you want to figure out who you are and what you want to do with your life. And, wow. you know, that that's sort of where I was coming from. And that's, you know, where she was. And then Franz comes in and is like, what are you thinking? You need to get a college degree. What's up with Hopkins? You have a full ride, full scholarship. You better call him up right now and figure out what's going on. And, da, da, da. and so she thought about it. And in the end, you know, she's like, okay, well, I'm going to go on this trip. And, you know, so she's got this mobile hotspot. She has to pay I don't know how much money for it, but to make sure that she's going to have signal everywhere. She's already got the schedule for her classes. She's going to be taking classes. Um, you know, like, you're, they're all Zoom, right? They're all online. Um, and even just, like, um, yesterday, one of her classes needs one of those yoga balls, so she had to pack a yoga ball. I had to go to Home Depot to get C batteries because um, she's it's so big, you know, you're not going to be able to travel with that yoga ball. She's going to have to blow it up every time she needs to use it. Oh and and she was like, she's like, oh, it's only once a week, you know, that I need that ball. So we went and bought a little, you know, a little hand pump oh. so that she can just like blow it up. And it actually also deflates. And so if you put it on the other side, it'll pull the air out of it. So she can just, you know, have it, you know, blow it up with the pump and then also deflate it with the pump. So, oh, yeah. yeah, like we compromised. Yes. That's great. Types, right? Because you think that... Roland being the Asian parent would be like, get your degree, go to school. But no. So, yeah, we can't. Actually, in my household, my husband is definitely the more risk averse one for sure. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. But I, I love how you, Roland, I love how you teach an essential skill of negotiation to your kids and they get to negotiate and decide for themselves I think that's such a critical skill to have you know as they become real adults and out in the world doing their thing you know yeah I think it's hard for everyone to do that honestly it's yeah so the more practice <laughs> um yeah I'm one thing I wanted to touch on was um, Asian and black relations and then where do Asians fit in the whole discussion about race relations because I feel like um, with all that's going on now, we constantly hear about the black and the white and how white people need to be aware of like the black, understand the black experience and all this, but I, I don't think there's been that much discussion about Asians or other people of color. So I'm I'm not really sure how to like where to go with this question, but I guess like talking about how the the racism that Asians have against blacks. Can I just share what I have Please. observed? Um, so a couple of things that I've observed mostly online these days because of COVID, I don't get to see friends. Ever since 
the racial unrest um, and George Floyd um, protests have have started is I noticed that a lot of my Asian friends actually don't understand systematic racism and that they are supporters of All Lives Matter. And I started thinking, I started to internalize this myself, like why? Um, especially Taiwanese Americans and, you know, the fact that Taiwan had gone through suppression um, since, uh, since war two, um, I would, I thought they would understand what it's like being the population that's being targeted and suppressed by, by the society. Um, and so I start thinking a lot, and I, I, I don't know if I have conclusion. I feel like everyone's um, has their own reason, but one that I frequently hear is that, especially for immigrants that came here with nothing, they work hard, but they are able to save money, buy a house, buy cars, get an education, you name it. They did the what the model minorities are being perceived like as long as you work hard, we are in the land of opportunity, um, you will be able to succeed. So why can't black people who have lived here for 400 years can't do that? And so that really demonstrates their lack of understanding for for the you know for the systemic uh, racism, redlining, you name it, uh, all of these context behind a lot of current social problems um it clearly shows the lack of understanding from from these asian americans you know they were care they care they worry more about stores being uh burned down or you know uh destroyed than people's lives being lost and so i in some way, feel very disappointed, especially seeing my own friends making comments on my wall and also like on my Facebook wall or even like on their own, you know, um, their own uh, profiles. It's just I'm disappointed, and and with this upcoming uh, general election, I'm seeing this divide within our Taiwanese American community as well, and so. There's a lot to think about. There's a lot to analyze, but I, I think, in general, I'm more disappointed, especially with the group of friends where we came together because we wanted to fight for Taiwan's independence and the recognition for Taiwan, but they would not acknowledge or empathize, or even support Black Lives Matter movement because of their own experience of thinking that, that's a deep that's deep i'm things that are happening right now so um i'm i've been you know engaged with the taiwanese american tang the tang program out here hopefully you and edwin can come join our camps as well um but uh but yeah, like Tang was laboring over like how can we address you know these issues of 
Black Lives Matter. And it was really great because, you know, they were able, the, the leadership, it's Tom, Thomas and Audrey were able to collaborate with, with my kids, you know, to come up with a statement, which I was, you know, really glad about. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, um, I'm hoping, this is what I hope. And this, again, this just came to me now. I didn't think about it when you sent me the questions, which is why it's so important. I have to think about these questions ahead of time. But, um, but just now I was just thinking I would love for my kids to become leaders within like the Tang community, you know, to provide leadership, to show, you know, that our community can be more than just, you know, what was. And, you know, if they provide leadership, then they can set an example for at least future generations of regarding, you know, race or, you know, these issues. I was surprised because of my ostrich status, you know, that that such it's such a strong um opinion within the Taiwanese American community to to be, you know, um, unaware, I guess, of the systemic systemic race racial system that we have in the United States and to, you know, protect property over lives and, you know, that 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 men mentality that 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 it's so strong. I mean, not to say that I didn't know that it was there. But, but another thing that's happening is that we circle and circle ourselves. And so like all, all, there's pretty much everyone around me thinks like I think. Um, so when you were speaking, Eileen, I think it's really important that your circle, your personal circle, you know, consists of people, you know, who don't think like that. Because that, that's the key right there where you have, you know, interaction with people who maybe don't think like you yeah and having that support system right I think it is key but I think one one thing I do want to just highlight is that black lives movement you know it, it's, it's about human rights it's it's not partisan it's not a political issue we're talking about the lives of black people so for it to be so divisive and like debated, like it blows my mind, right? Like that's what I don't understand why people can't see the value of, of human rights when it's something that especially Taiwanese Americans have fought for for years. We talk about freedom. We talk about human rights. We talked about self-determination. Like these are all you know, in some way, it's very similar to how an individual as a person should have to live his and her fullest. Um, and so the fact that we're debating about human rights issue and making it partisan, it's so backward to me, you know, especially coming from those who are educated, who knows what what it's like being suppressed. and but turn it around because it's it's a different group of people. That's what I think hurts me the most. I think you should um, maintain that position. You know, you know, like that. That's sort of my strategy in general. Is like you move forward assuming that the way that you think is the only way to think. Like, well, what do you mean? Black 
that this is human rights. You believe in human rights, so you you know, this is the same thing, you know, like, if you approach with that level of, you know, certainty, um, oftentimes what you do is you will um, chip away at the certainty of the person who thinks differently from that, you know, they'll be, that maybe that, that will call your certainty, your, you know, definitive, like, truth, like, hey, this is it, this is true, right? You care about human rights, and this is human rights. We're talking about lives, not politics. This is not about, you know, then the other person might question and start to think, like, oh, wow, yeah, right. What, what you know? She has a point there, <laughs> you know. Okay, I have a lot of thoughts on <laughs> what you guys are saying. Um, first of all, like, yeah, it's it is very curious that um, you know Taiwanese or Taiwanese Americans have been through their own kind of suppression uh, historically, and you think that they should be more sympathetic to other people who are going through some kind of oppression. Um, but, you know, it's Taiwan, um, I mean, if I could just pose a theory, you know, that Taiwan is a little bit more mono-ethnic and there's uh, not as much uh, different races and people of color, so maybe they can't relate to that experience. Um, uh, that could be a factor. Yeah, the whole Black Lives Matter movement and how people are having a hard time with that. And some people are saying, well, why do we have to say Black Lives Matter? Shouldn't it be All Lives Matter and all that? Um, I mean, I've experienced some of this because I've done a few episodes related to the Black Lives Matter topic. And I've posted in certain Facebook groups. And um, I've gotten some comments that are like, this is not our issue. This is not the uh, Taiwanese issue. We don't have any black people in Taiwan, <laughs> which is like kind of ridiculous. But my perspective is that um, that just seems to be the discussion now is uh, the focus is on Black Lives Matter, but it could be anybody. And I feel like in this pandemic, there's actually been a lot of uh, rise of uh, Asian hate, hate crimes also, and a lot of Asians being blamed for being Chinese and bringing the coronavirus here and so on. And, and like, unfortunately, I think sometimes things like that have to happen for people to realize that nobody is um, exempt from these things, that you could be college educated, you could, you know, uh, have a good job, you could have done all the right things, but then if somebody wants to have their opinions about you and say, you know, you're a dirty Chinese for bringing the coronavirus here, they'll do that just as they've, you know, what happened with... Um, Ahmad Aubrey and someone mistaking him that he, what was it, they burglarized or um, robbed someone's home and then they went after him, right, just because they thought he, they, they mistook his, mistook his identity. So my perspective is that it just happens that the discussion is now about the black experience, but hopefully if we have this discussion and people try to see the experience of somebody else and that will open their minds and then they will just have to think about all the others, meaning like Asians and other people of color and hopefully that discussion can lead them to think about that. Because if you already start thinking about what is the experience of the black person, that other, then what about the other others, you know, just my two cents. Yeah, I think for me, I feel like minorities 
you know, um, black, brown, Asian, you name it. Um, we should be working together and supporting each other um, uh, because when we're all humans and second, um, we understand what it's like being minority and therefore having that ability to empathize each other where they're coming from and come together and, you know, um, and be, do, do things to support each other. Like that's what I thought it would be like, um, or in my naive little brain, what I was hoping that it would happen. Um, but, you know, unfortunately we see many cases you know, that are not that. And it makes me feel angry. And I want to be able to kind of, you know, I have to think to myself, how do I channel that? How do I not just let anger take over me, but, you know, find ways to, to do something positive. And so, um, anyways, I, I, I'm not really sure where I'm going with this, but I, I, I feel like I just wish people can be it more in solidarity with, especially when our country is facing so many challenges and one of them being the lives of people are being lost for unjust reasons. And I want, why can't we come together for that? Yeah, that's a tough question. I mean, just... I don't know what the answer is, but I hope that by having conversations and compassion and just and more tolerance uh, to have these tough conversations, that's all, all that you can really do. Rola, you have any thoughts? Um, I just don't know where to where to start with all of this. Um, fundamentally, we need to um, let me get my notes again because my brain. Oh, what I wrote is I said there needs to be a general recognition of power. Um, I think if we can um, if we can break that down, then it everything will come out in the wash, right? So like by being Asian, we're a minority, we're, we're a minority minority, right? We're, we're such, we're so small in number, so we have very little power. Um, blackness feels like they're powerless because of um, because of white supremacy but if you want to start looking at um, power within society to you know um, advocate the black community is actually pretty powerful right now and so you know like Asian Americans we're almost a non-issue really you know our community doesn't speak at all in the context of, of power. And so, Eileen, what you were saying about, oh, we're, we all understand what it's like to be oppressed. Like, if, if we break down this analysis, if we break down this, you know, deconstruct power, you're going to find people of all races, of all groups, of all anything, you know, that you want to categorize. You know, it, it's not an analysis based on race or based on, gender or you know whatever whatever it's an analysis based on power and oppression and principles of justice and 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 correctness or fairness or equity or um 
and and if we speak in terms of those of those things, then you will build coalitions where they make sense that don't have to be you know defined and delineated by those terms but by, by you know by race so if you trust try to look within Taiwanese Americans I'll give you a, a whole handful in fact half of the you know active community is going to agree with us here you know half that's because there's a breakdown there's an analysis you know and the analysis has us falling on the side of human rights. But then you have another half, you know, who also believes in Taiwan independence. And, you know, but their, their priorities or their exposure or their, what they, um, how they analyze reality, you know, truth of what's happening, you know, um, has them fall on, on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and then I think the other thing to acknowledge and recognize across the board is that we're all selfish. Like, that's what I was thinking, you know. Yeah, we agree in human rights, our human rights. That that's really what we're saying. That's what, what we're always saying, you know. And so it's a matter of, like, what falls inside our, O-U-R, our, what, who is in our, right? And so our analysis here, the three of us, you know, our human rights includes black people. It includes people who are not Taiwanese. It includes, you know... Um, people who are not like us, but th maybe perhaps the Taiwanese, you know, that, you know, that you're talking, you know, talking about Eileen, who cares about human rights, they're talking about their human rights for Taiwan, right? Against the Chinese, the evil Chinese, but they're in that equation. There's no black people, right, Felicia? <laughs> there's no black people. Right. So I've been told. At least in that in that equation in the analysis. So so for me, it's always it really it's all about exposure, which is why I was saying how Eileen, you're you know the fact that this is you are an insider, you know, in this group that that's an opportunity. That's an opportunity for people to be exposed, you know, to to some you know one who's maybe not just in that small group. Um, it's, it comes down to exposure and an analysis of power. Like, how selfish do are we in our analysis of our principles? So those two things. And, and when it comes down to it, I, I'm angry at the... I, I don't like that the discussion is so narrowly defined by blackness and whiteness. Um, but at the same time, I recognize that, you know, as Asians, we we don't have that much of a presence. Thanks for saying that, Rola. I agree. It seems a lot like the conversation has been focused on blackness and whiteness, which is why I wanted to have you and Eileen on to have this discussion. Well, yeah, it's interesting, Rola, what you said about exposure just made me think about something else, which is like, I think it's also just exposure to other people. Like, I'm sure that... Um, if people don't have um, relationships with um, black people or they haven't interacted with them or had friendships or whatever, then it's very hard for them to relate. Um, so, like, you know, maybe people in Taiwan, they don't personally know a lot of black people or other people who... That, that, that goes a long way to understanding, right, to having that personal relationship and being able to empathize with somebody. Yeah. For sure. Okay, ladies. Do you guys have any like um, like tips or advice that you have for other parents of Blazing kids? 
Yeah, that was my favorite question. I have an answer, but I want to go last. <laughs> okay. Eileen? Um, I'm a relatively new um, parent, so I really can't uh, speak in depth about advice uh, per se. Um, but I think one thing that I've been um, asking myself to do is to be willing to learn um, and just and be open-minded to learning about your other half, um, which is, you know, which makes your kids whole um, and just be cognizant and be willing to learn about our society, social justice, um, the history, personal experiences. I think that's one thing that I'm asking myself to do. Um, and I hope that other um, parents could also do that to help in some way educate themselves. But I think I find it very fulfilling. Um, and I, I hope others can do the same as well. Okay, so this is probably going to be anticlimactic, but um, but this really is my advice, um, and it's really my philosophy, and I believe in it 100%. Um, so advice I have for parents, pay attention to who your child is and do everything within your power to support and help them in becoming that. And that's it. And that's hard because you have to figure out who they are. And, and, in, and embedded in that is, you know, if they are, you know, Blasian, right, that's part of it. It, it, will, it will come into terms. But, but really, I think you have to recognize that your child is unique. They were born already being who they are. You know, I think, Eileen, you can probably already see that. She is her own person already. She was born that. She's not you and she's not her dad. She is her own person. And your job as her parent is to help her become that, whatever that is. And, and you and Edwin will figure it out. <laughs> That's super powerful. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for a lot. I, for sure. For sure. She is herself. You know, a lot of times I kind of look into her and I say, do I see myself in her? And just gradually she's just being her, herself. You know, she's, there's a little bit of us, each of us in her, but it's not her. She's her on her own. And she's only like, you know months old right yeah definitely I love that advice so if you've ever seen my daughter dance you'll know that it's not me <laughs> <laughs> sharing that role I think like I'm not a parent so I can't relate to a lot of this stuff but at least but I am the child of someone right so yeah that is so much so hard to do because, I mean, I think a lot of parents put their expectations on kids, or whatever, but the hardest thing is to let, because that's part of letting go about being a parent, is like letting go to let them be who they are and not who you think they should be or whatever. So that's a really important message. Yeah. And it's not just let them be, it's support them yeah. in becoming, you know? Like, it's, it's kind of your job, you know? Like, I think 
one thing that parents love to do is like, oh, sure, you could do whatever you want, but here's what I'm not going to do to help you do these things, you know, because I disagree, because I disapprove, you know, and that can be just as devastating, you know, to know Mm -hmm. that not only do they not approve, but they're going to, you know, not help you in ways. But it's hard to do. Yeah. (laughs) But that's our goal. I, I just think that's our job. That's really our job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you I when totally you agree. become a parent, that's your job. You know, everything that you have, everything that you you have in terms of you know resources, in terms of knowledge and wisdom and agency and capability, is to take all that you have to try, you know, to support and and help your child to become whatever it is that they're supposed to be. And we'll get it. We'll get it eventually, you know. That's, that's the whole thing about ancestral, you know, our, our uh, belief system in ancestral history is that, you know, you you carry the sins of your ancestors, but you're every every generation has the opportunity to heal the traumas of our ancestors as well. So that's what we believe. And, Thank you. And well, so there's, children, a, there's an up note. <laughs> Yeah, your children are your opportunity, you know? Yeah. I love what you just said. Totally agree. Thank you. So do any of you have anything you want to say in closing? I know this is a really long talk. I really appreciate all of your time and, you know, sharing your thoughts and participating in this. I just want to say that I really appreciate you, Felicia. Like, we've had, like, this decades-long, and you've just been so like supportive across the board. I don't know if other people know, but when we Sheng wanted to go look at colleges in, in New York, she you, you basically took care of her for, you know, oh, a half a week. You I know, gave you, her a place. You took her to no, you took her you you took her to that talk, you fed her, you know, like yeah. So I mean that's really important and I appreciate that. And you know, and you bringing this conversation and bringing me into this conversation. I yeah, I just really want to appreciate you. Thank you. On, on the same coin, I Felicia, when I first met you, I think it was a Fapa YPG um, conference where, um, you know, we were working together to, um, you know, to fight for Taiwan's, you know, recognition uh, as an independent country. And I just remember you being so brilliant and to, like, share more the lives of Taiwanese American. Um, I think it's so crucial. So I just want to thank you for inviting me to be part of this. I am still learning <laughs> as a parent. Um, you know, this is kind of new to me. So hopefully in 16 years, I'll, I'll be able to report back to you when my daughter turns 18. I'll be like, oh, this is what she became. <laughs> and hopefully it's, it's so, you know, she became someone um, um, Happy. that's, that's happy and, and, and well, and, um, you know, being the type of person she wants to be. Um, and so we'll see, I'll, I'll report back to you in 16 years when she turns well, we'll all still be friends. <laughs> I know, right? I don't know. Will we still have podcasts? Who knows? <laughs> oh, yes. It has to live. And so thank you for your good work. Really. I, I think this platform really no, it's really my pleasure. I mean, if there's something that I can do to use this platform to bring conversations and, um, and you know, do something informative and useful, that's what it's all about. 
But yeah, thank you so much for um, your time today, ladies. Yeah. Thank you. Have a great rest of the day. Yeah. Bye, ladies. Bye. 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 I want to thank Arlene and Rola, who so graciously thanked me for having them on Talking Taiwan. This was definitely the longest interview I've done for Talking Taiwan to date. In fact, I want to take a moment here to thank all of my amazing guests. You are the ones who have made this podcast what it is. It's really my pleasure to be able to share all of your stories and most of all, to create some more awareness about my ancestral homeland, Taiwan. To learn more about my guests, Eileen and Rola, and any related links, visit our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. If you enjoyed this episode of Talking Taiwan, please take the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.